Hello and welcome to the Night Sky Guide for May. My name is Melissa Holbert and I am the Site Programs Coordinator at Sydney Observatory. Before we start our night sky tour, make sure you download the May Sky Map from our website. Armed with your sky map and a small torch with some red cellophane covering it, find a nice dark place away from the glare of the streetlights and make sure you know your cardinal directions, north, south, east and west. Remember that the sun rises in the east, moves through the northern sky during the day and sets in the west, or a small compass will also point you in the right direction. Pick a comfortable spot, either on a rug or a deck chair, that you can lay back in. Wait about 5 to 10 minutes and allow your eyes to adapt to the darkness. Now turn towards the west. Low in the western sky is the familiar constellation of Orion the Hunter. In Greek mythology, Orion was a hunter of great skill and boasted that he could kill all living animals. Gaia, the earth goddess, was alarmed by his statement and fearing for all the animals on earth, she sent a scorpion to kill him. Orion was stung on the shoulder, but was revived and placed in the stars along with the scorpion. This entire myth is played out in the stars each year. As Scorpius the scorpion rises in the east, Orion sets in the west defeated. When Scorpius sets in the west, the healer Ephucus crushes the scorpion into the earth and revives Orion so he can rise in the east again. Orion appears in many cultures. Even the ancient Egyptians saw Orion as Osiris, god of the underworld and of regeneration. If you're having difficulty picking out the hunter, then look for the saucepan. This is a familiar group of stars for those of us in the southern hemisphere and it's Orion's belt and sword. Orion is now on his side as he sets below the western horizon. Now turn and face the east, and there is Scorpius rising in triumph as Orion sets defeated for another year. The Scorpion is one of the easiest constellations to pick out, as it is one of the few that does look like what it's supposed to represent. It covers about 30 degrees in the sky. Working out degrees in the sky is quite easy. Hold your arm out towards the sky and make a fist. From one side of your fist to the other, this is 10 degrees. Hold your other arm out and spread your hand out as wide as you comfortably can. So the opposite of a fist. From your little finger to your thumb is 20 degrees. Put your hands side by side and you now have 30 degrees. The size the scorpion covers in the sky. This does work for everyone as your arm length is proportional to your hand size. Now look for the scorpion's heart and taris, a red supergiant that is 400 times the diameter of our sun. And taris means rival of Mars, and when they are close together in the sky, they certainly do look very similar. If you have a pair of binoculars, then near Antares is a small globular star cluster, M4, which is a group of old stars that lies about 7,000 light-years away, making it one of the closest globular clusters to us. Below the sting of the scorpion are the two open star clusters, M7 and M6, which are also worth a look. See if you can see the butterfly in M6. These names I'm giving the clusters are catalogue names. M stands for Messier and is named after Charles Messier, an 18th century French comet chaser. He made a catalogue of 103 fuzzy objects that were not comets so that he didn't waste his time looking at them. Other astronomers later added a few more objects to the catalogue, bringing the total to 110. 
Time to turn and look towards the south. High in the southern sky is the constellation Crux, better known to us as the Southern Cross. Crux is Latin for cross. The Southern Cross, like the Scorpion, is another constellation that does look like what it's supposed to represent. It is surrounded on three sides by the constellation Centaurus, and the two brightest stars in Centaurus make up the pointers, which point to the Southern Cross. And this is one way to check that you have the right cross, as there are many star patterns in the southern sky that look like crosses. During May, the pointers are to the east and slightly south of the Southern Cross. The second brightest star in Crux is a marker for a wonderful binocular and telescope object. To find the second brightest star, whose name is Mimosa, look for the star in Crux closest to the pointers. Now just nearby, at about 7 o'clock if you imagine a clock face over Mimosa, is a wonderful open star cluster called the Jewel Box. It looks like a sideways A. In a telescope, wonderful colours can be seen with white stars and a red supergiant. Sometimes even green appears, but of course there are no green stars. This is just an illusion. The famous 18th century astronomer John Herschel gave the cluster its name as he likened it to a piece of multicoloured jewellery. Crux sits within one of the arms of our Milky Way, and if you are away from city lights, you will see this arm and notice a dark patch between the brightest and second brightest stars of this constellation. This dark patch is called the coal sack and is a dark nebula, lots of gas and dust that are blocking out the background stars. In the dreaming of the Indigenous people, the coal sack formed the head of the emu, and if you follow the dark dust lanes of the Milky Way east towards the Scorpion, you will see the emu's body and legs. There are lots of stories about Crux and the pointers. Some say that Crux is the eagle's foot and the pointers are the throwing stick used to hunt with. Others see the Milky Way as a river with Crux as a fish or a stingray and the pointers as two white cockatoos sitting in a tree. Centaurus is a mythical half-man, half-horse and in Greek mythology represented the scholarly centaur Chiron who tutored many of the Greek gods and heroes. He was put among the stars after he was accidentally struck by a poisoned arrow fired by Hercules. The brightest star in Centaurus is Alpha Centauri, which is one of the pointers. It is the pointer which is more distant from the Southern Cross or the brighter of the two stars. In telescopes, Alpha Centauri appears as two stars, and both these stars orbit around each other once every 80 years and are starting to move closer together. By 2037-2038, only medium aperture telescopes will be able to distinguish the two stars. There is also a third member of this group called Proxima Centauri, and it is the closest star to us after our own sun, at about 4.2 light years away, or 42 million million kilometres. It takes Proxima about 1 million years to orbit its two companions, and it is a red dwarf star, making it a challenge to see. It is not even in the same field of view as its companions. What else can we look forward to seeing in the sky in May 2019? Low in the northwest evening sky is the red planet Mars. It spends the start of the month in the constellation Taurus and mid-month moves into Gemini, ending the month close to the third magnitude star Epsilon Geminorum. On the 7th, 
a thin crescent moon will be visible below and to the left or west of Mars. And on the 8th, the waxing crescent moon is above and slightly to the right or north of the red planet. On the 19th, Mars passes along the edge of the open star cluster M35 and close to NGC 2158. M35 contains many bright blue stars, as do most open star clusters, and formed about 150 million years ago, so it's quite young, astronomically speaking. It contains about 2,500 stars and is roughly 2,800 light-years away. NGC 2158 is more compact and older, about 10 times older than M35, which explains its lack of blue stars. NGC 2158 contains older yellow stars and is roughly 11,000 light-years away. NGC 2158 shines at magnitude 8.6, too faint for the unaided eye. While shining at magnitude 5.2, M35 would be visible to the unaided eye in dark skies, though given both clusters and Mars's closeness to the horizon, binoculars or a small telescope would be needed to see all three. In the eastern sky, by about mid-month, Jupiter is visible. It is easy to distinguish from other objects as it is the brightest object, other than the Moon and Venus, in the nighttime sky, shining at a magnitude of minus 2.5 in the constellation of Ephucus. Binoculars will show you the four largest moons, known as the Galilean satellites, and small aperture telescopes will show one or two of the Jovian cloud belts. The cloud belts move with great speed, up to 620 kilometres per hour. On the 20th, the waning gibbous moon is slightly above and to the left or north of the gas giant. Very low in the mid-evening eastern sky from about mid-May, the beautiful ringed planet Saturn is rising in the constellation Sagittarius. Saturn's impressive ring system can be seen in even small aperture telescopes, and depending on the telescope you are using, you may even catch a glimpse of a few of Saturn's moons, including the second largest in our solar system, Titan. On the 22nd, the waning gibbous moon is above and slightly to the left or east of the ring planet. On this night, the distance between the Moon and Saturn will decrease, and on the 23rd, a daytime morning occultation will occur. The Moon will start to pass in front of Saturn at 9.13am Eastern Standard Time, and will set with Saturn still occulted at 10.28am. With the Moon and Saturn low in the western sky, it will require a precisely aligned telescope and good seeing conditions to observe this event. All of the early birds have not been forgotten as May sees four planets in the morning sky. Both gas giants, Jupiter and Saturn, are visible in the west in the early morning sky. The first week of May sees Mercury low in the eastern sky before twilight. It moves from the constellation Pisces into Aries and a few days later becomes lost in the morning twilight, so a viewing sight with a good east horizon is essential if you wish to see Mercury. Venus is also low in the early morning sky and, like Mercury, moves from Pisces into Aries in mid-May. On the 3rd, the thin waning crescent moon is slightly below and to the right or east of the brilliantly shining planet. If you have a clear view to the horizon, look for Mercury below the moon. The three will make an interesting grouping before twilight washes out Mercury. 
On the 19th, Venus and Uranus pass within a degree of each other. Binoculars will be needed to see the pair just before astronomical twilight, which ends at 5.57am Eastern Standard Time. I do have one wild card for you this month, which is the Eda Aquarid Meteor Shower. This shower is linked to Halley's Comet and is one of the most popular in the Southern Hemisphere. When comets pass close to the sun, they leave a trail of small particles and dust behind. When the Earth passes through this trail, we see lots of meteors appearing to come from the one area of the sky. This is called the Radiant, and each shower is named after the constellation or bright star near which the Radiant appears. In this case, it's the constellation of Aquarius, and the star is Eta Aquarii. The shower runs between the 19th of April and the 28th of May, with the peak on the morning of the 6th of May. At its peak, the rate will often be around 50 per hour. The Eta Acarids are usually very swift and are a striking yellow colour. They are also known for their trains, about 25% of meteors leaving a train behind. The best time to observe any meteor shower is after midnight, usually a few hours before dawn. So on the morning of the 6th, look towards the east. This year, new moon occurs on the 5th and will not interfere with observations, so the morning of the 6th should provide a good opportunity to see a number of meteors, especially if you are away from city lines. The Eta Acarids have a history of good performance. In 1975, there was an hourly rate of 95, and in 1980, an hourly rate of 110. If you observe any of the planetary and lunar events or see the Eta Acarids, we'd love to hear from you via our blog, Facebook or Twitter pages. I leave you now with a quote from Stephen Hawking. Look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. Be curious. Wishing you clear skies and see you next month under the stars. If you have enjoyed this monthly sky guide and think you might want to regularly check out what's in the night sky, why not purchase a copy of Sydney Observatory's book, The Australasian Sky Guide for 2019. It not only contains detailed monthly sky guides, but is packed with astronomical information, including rise and set times for the sun, moon and planets, tides, and a detailed look at our solar system and upcoming astronomical events. Only $17 from Sydney Observatory and Powerhouse Museum shops, or you can purchase it online. Additional cost supply. For more information on the night sky, check out our blogs on Sydney Observatory's website. You can also check Sydney Observatory's Facebook page and Twitter account for the latest astronomical information. This has been Melissa Holbert from Sydney Observatory with the May Sky Guide podcast.